Thanks again for listening to another edition of Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. In just a moment, Eric Friedman, Santa Barbara City Council member, is my guest. I wanted to ask you to please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. You can see these interviews on video. Also, please follow me on social media on Instagram, Motown Josh, and on Twitter, at JEC Molina. I really appreciate your support, and thanks for listening. Welcome to Santa Barbara Talks with Josh Molina. It's my pleasure today to be here with Santa Barbara City Council Member Eric Friedman. Eric Friedman, how are you doing today? Uh, good morning, Josh. It's great to be here and, and to be on the show. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I get to watch you on Tuesdays at the council meetings. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, like like I know you and I'm closer to you because, you know, you see on the TV and some days those meetings are hours, you know, so I'm seeing you every week. I haven't really, you know, seen you too much lately in real life because of the pandemic. So I'm really excited that we got the opportunity to talk face-to-face here. Um, I wanted to just dive right in and talk to you about something that came up recently. You're running for re-election in Santa Barbara, District 5, and I wanted to ask you about the endorsement process. As you know, last week you interviewed for an endorsement with the Santa Barbara County Democratic Party Central Committee, and uh, you know, Santa Barbara's a nonpartisan uh, race, but obviously endorsements matter. They matter in terms of uh, support and in-kind resources. And if you're a Democrat voter and you see somebody who's got the Democrat party uh, behind them on a piece of literature, that holds a lot of weight. And so those endorsements are, are, are influential, you know, even a nonpartisan local election. So I wanted to um, ask you, Eric, because you're endorsing for uh, you're, you're seeking the endorsement. And uh, one of the questions that came up during your reelection endorsement interview had to do with your support of your mother, Celeste Barber. And, uh, you know, she's involved in some Santa Barbara City College politics. She, she ran for office and, you know, she, she's very, um, in, you know, she, was, she said the pledge at a meeting and it got a lot of attention locally and nationally. You know, this was after Santa Barbara City College had temporarily tried to stop the pledge from opening their meetings. And so, um, you know, there was some question. And, and there was some concern and there was some skepticism of whether to support you because during her campaign, she um, or you decided to endorse her. And, uh, you know, the obvious sort of reaction is, yes, but, you know, it's, it's, um, it's politics, yes, but this is also his mother, right? This is the woman who gave birth to him and who, who uh, is very much, you know, it's his mom, you know, but I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, that was the question. Why should the Democratic Party consider supporting you when you supported candidates that were counter to the platform of the Democratic Party, particularly in that board of trustees race? So let me just ask you, Eric, first of all, when you had that question, right, what was your reaction? Did you expect it? Were you were you taken aback? Uh, what did you think when you heard that question from the, a member of the committee? Well, first, I just want to say um, I, I had a, a sense that it was going to be asked and uh, appreciate you um, asking these questions and just giving me an opportunity to just explain what happened from my perspective. And, and um, it had come up at the, the Young Dems uh, the week before. And um, I really do respect that it got brought up because it is um, something that's out there and uh, to have had the opportunity to just explain in detail of my thought process. And I, I am very cognizant of the concerns that some of them might have up there on it. But in, for me, first of all, um, she's my mom and you know, I love my mom and she raised me and uh, my son's lover, my wife. Uh, and she worked at City College for, for 20 years and, and I know her whole history. And that's, I wanted to take that opportunity to really kind of tell her history in uh, some parts of it, and to show that all of us are complex, families complex. I don't always agree with everything that my mom says. She doesn't agree with some of the votes I take at council, and believe me, she lets me know. And we have those discussions. And when she decided to run for City College Board of Trustees last year, of course I was going to support her. Uh, I think her opponent, Ann Everett, was very highly qualified as well. And so I think our city was very fortunate to have two 
highly qualified candidates who really care about the students in City College Run. In this case, one happened to be my mom, and, and of course I was going to support her. And um, for me, what it also comes down to is I know the person she is. I know her whole, her whole life, her whole history. And my wife does, Julie, and also my sons. And for, if, if I had taken the position of not to support her uh, for a political reason, because that would be the only reason not to support her, the thing that would have really affected me was how could I have ever looked my sons in the eye again and said, you know, when I was on city council and your mom ran or your grandma ran for school board, I didn't support her because they know who she is and we do as a family. So I took that opportunity to um, just share parts of her story, some, some parts of it, so that they know that this one incident that happened at City College is just one small part of an entire life. And um, it's one of the larger issues in our society today is we're, we're very um, out to judge people on one moment. So I wanted to take the time to really walk through who she is in, in the limited amount of time I had. Yeah. <clears throat> so can, can we give you that platform a little bit here? Um, can you just talk a little bit about what you told the committee in terms of your uh, explanation for why you you still supported her despite some of the events around that campaign? Um, sure. So with my mom, I, I used two incidents uh, in her life, and, and both of them have really affected me. The first one in particular, when um, I grew up in Santa Barbara, we had moved here. Uh, she was a single mom. And then uh, about 10 years later in 1989, we moved up to Lompoc, her and my mom, my stepdad, the late UCSB professor, Frank McConnell. And we moved to Lompoc in the late 80s, early 90s. And she was known as a liberal in a conservative town, in fact, arguably the most conservative town in the county in a conservative time in our country. And one night, uh, what happened was there was a, a young woman of color gave birth to a baby that tested positive for heroin. And at the time, our country was really pushing uh, penalties for, for drugs. And, and um, so the baby was taken away, a newborn baby, and the mom was put in jail. And word got out and my, in the town and everybody was outraged. But my mom looked at it as, as a, in a different way that something needed to be done here because that woman cared about her baby, but the throes of addiction are so strong that she couldn't overcome the addiction. So she went down to the, the jail, I think it was the holding facility in Lompoc, and met with the woman. She never met her before. And when, just so she wasn't alone that night. And so when they released her, my mom drove her home and said, there has to be a better way to deal with these types of circumstances. And so she went out into the community. Again, she was known as liberal. She was the president of National Organization for Women Local Chapter, strong supporter of Planned Parenthood. And she started meeting with people and they moved forward. And what resulted of it was that they ended up starting a nonprofit called Holly House. They found a house in a residential neighborhood with very little or no opposition. And women who had uh, either pregnant or young children who were trying to overcome addiction issues or even domestic violence, able to come in the house and live there and get all kinds of services from the county public health nurse would come in and show them the basics of you know, changing diapers, why you don't wanna give your kid juice when he's three months old because it could rot their teeth, but also GED if they needed it. Um, job training and just get them back on their feet and give them the skills that they needed and the support that they needed. And this was before we had first five, before we had many of the things we take for granted now. And one of the biggest champions of it was a, uh, a conservative judge up in Lompoc. And for them to form that relationship and him to be one of the champions of it, it was just really forward thinking at the time. And because of that, she, she was nominated and received the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors fourth district uh, Women of the Year uh, back in, I believe it's 93. And then she was honored by Maxwell House of all things um, coffee. They have a uh, 50 American heroes from and every year. And so she was one of 50 heroes from throughout the country uh, doing on the ground work. And so she and my, my dad were flown out to Washington DC with all the others and they all met each other and shared what they'd done. And at the time, First Lady Barbara Bush uh, this is when George Bush Sr. was in office, um, was their keynote, and they met with them. And so for me, it just showed that that's who she really is, and she's still that person. And so then to fast forward it, I wanted to say it wasn't just 30 years ago in Lompoc, but she's also been affecting change here locally in Santa Barbara. And when she was on the city college board, I'm sorry, city college adjunct professor, she fought for labor rights for the adjunct professors because they 
they don't have adequate compensation and especially health benefits, which we all care about now, and salaries. And she fought to have them join the, um, the AFT with the full-time professors. That um, didn't work, the vote didn't go in their favor, but then she kept moving forward and she fought to have and lead the charge to get um, rehire rights for the adjunct professors so they have some stability in their jobs. So those were two bookends, but she has a whole lifetime of service. So I just wanted people to understand because I think there, um, there's this judgment of my mom right now on that one moment on the pledge, and, but she has a whole complex history just like all of us do, everybody has a complex story and, we, and it's very detrimental to having conversations and difficult conversations that we need to have when we start, start putting people into one place at a time for one incident and define and trying to define their whole life. So I wanted to take that opportunity to clarify it because I know behind the scenes, people had, had been trying to say certain things about my mom. And so I wanted to let the whole community know this is who she is, who she always is, has been and who she always will be. And just in terms of context, for, for those who don't know, as I understand it, and feel free to correct me, Eric, connect the dots, uh, the Board of Trustees at City College had voted to, to stop saying the pledge at the beginning of their meetings. And there was a, um, a backlash among, among some, um, you know, I'll say some conservatives or just some people who felt like, you know, what, why are we doing this? And uh, around that time, when Celeste was speaking, there was a dual controversy where an administrator had, had used the unabbreviated version of the N-word, and um, that administrator uh, was suspended, but there was calls for that administrator to be let go. And uh, there were people at that meeting who were calling on the a superintendent and the administration to take stronger action against that individual. So it was sort of this, this uh, combination of these two events that were coming up at the same time. Uh, people who were very upset that this person had been allowed to keep their job. And then your mother is there to, to say the pledge because um, it means something to her. And then, you know, there's a member of the audience and there's some, um, um, conflict that is going on and uh, all of those things all came together in that one moment and that painted Celeste as sort of being more focused on the pledge issue and not the actual not not why a lot of people were in the room at the moment so it sort of felt like there was a disconnect by some and also uh, she was endorsed by the Santa Barbara County Republican Party uh, and so all of those is like wait a minute you know, Eric's, you know, the perception was, and I'm not saying this is it, but this is her context. Uh, perception is Eric's mom is a conservative and she's running for the seat against Anna Everett, who was endorsed by the Democratic Party. And then she was involved in all that stuff going on with the pledge. And here's Eric Friedman, who's a Democrat and worked with Slude Carball. He was on the council um, seeking an endorsement. And so all of that is sort of like what what we're dealing with here in terms of the bigger context. Um, is that a fair summary of sort of how we got to this point from your perspective, Eric? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And again, it gets to the issue we talked about is there's a lot of complexities and there's a lot of nuance in everything that happened. The, the one thing I would add to what you, you just said, Josh, is that my mom had no idea there was going to be a, a protest that day. And uh, so if she had gone the week before or the week later, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gone to a viral video that happened and it wouldn't have turned out the way it did. So, um, but in the end, that's why I took the opportunity to go into that detailed explanation um, at the central committee, because I think there's much more to my mom's story than that. And so that's why I wanted to, to take that opportunity to share some more about her, because I think most people only saw that one clip or that one incident with, uh, about her. So, um, that's why I chose to answer the question in the way I did. And, uh, was there any thought process of you just sort of saying, you know, um, this is my mom. That's a personal matter. Um, I'm always going to love my mom. I'm always going to support her regardless of whether we disagree, but, can we please talk about my policy issues and what I've done at, at, on the city council? Did, did that enter you as an answer at all? Yeah, so I, I just think it is unfortunate that, you know, I'm running for re-election uh, for the Santa Barbara City Council, and I've been on there over three years now. And the first question I get is about my mom. And, and I think it should be more reflective of 
when we're running of what we've done to the city on ourselves. And so um, it's just unfortunate that it's centered around my mom and that controversy. And I'm hopeful going forward that myself and the central committee and, and the community at large can really focus on the city issues. Um, but again, the reason I, I decided to give that detailed explanation is because I think there were many individuals who actually wanted to understand what actually happened. And just to say that, you know, she's my mom and that's it, wasn't going to answer it for them. Uh, because for me, I, I thought about that beforehand. You know, if I get this question, should I answer that way? And the reality is, is if it was enough for them to just say, hey, it's his mom, the question would not have been asked because then they would have said, it is his mom, so we're going to leave it alone and we're going to focus on the issues. But it was asked, so they obviously wanted to hear what I had to say about it rather than just, she's my mom. So um, that's the, the thoughts that thought process I went through. Okay. And the other part of their skepticism, at least at that meeting initially with the endorsement was your ability to endorse or your history of endorsing Democrats. So Kathy Murillo is running for re-election. And as far as I know, you've not endorsed her. Um, I think Megan Harmon has, and I think Oscar Gutierrez has, uh, but you have not. Um, there, I think, I don't, I'm not sure you endorsed Oscar Gutierrez, uh, is another name that I had heard. So there was a question of, wait, Eric has not endorsed other Democratic Party candidates, some of them people of color, um, and then he wants our endorsement. So can you talk a little bit about um, that process for you and what, what, you know, what, what sort of your thinking is along um, that line of questioning? Yeah, thanks for the, the question that, that did come up. And what I set up there is, is uh, about endorsements is I have a long history of working for the party, walking precincts, going back probably over 20 years since I came back to Santa Barbara. And I've endorsed plenty of candidates um, throughout, the, throughout the county from Santa Maria, even all the way down into Ventura and Oxnard. And so I have endorsed and I've walked, I've um, contributed financially, phone banked, uh, whatever it takes. And I didn't endorse in the last round of city council elections because I was a candidate. So I, I, I did not endorse as I was running for office at the time. And then in the last couple of special elections that come up, uh, I haven't endorsed for the most part because I feel that when you're up on the dais, you have to be able to work with whoever the voters send up there with you. And for me, it's, it's important to start off on an ability to have those conversations to be able to work with them. And it's a different footing when, you're, when you talk about, you know, hey, you made it up here, you don't owe me anything, but we can work together versus them looking at me thinking I didn't want them up here. And in the case of one um, council, um, it was the case of Councilman Alejandro Gutierrez and, and uh, Jason Dominguez. I worked with Jason and, you know, we had our definitely had our differences, but he also were, um, supported some of the legislation that we supported. And a lot of times you need five votes to be able to make effective changes going to benefit the community. So that's a strategy I've taken. Uh, some may disagree with it, uh, but that is the approach I've taken. And that's what I tried to convey. But again, I've endorsed many candidates. I've walked for many candidates, uh, again, all the way from Ventura, Noxenard, uh, the Ventura County Board of Supervisors up to City of Santa Maria, including uh, past candidates that have run for the City of Santa Barbara Council. Do you see their their logic? Um, I, I feel as though this, this question in terms of their endorsement holds a little bit more weight because, um, you know, this is a direct correlation, okay? Uh, they're a party. They're all about getting the best Democrat candidates in office, and it takes work. Uh, it doesn't just happen. I know that there are some who, who think that it's just sort of easy, but the party's worked for 20 years to sort of create this, this um, movement in order to groom candidates generation after generation and get them into office. And you can agree or disagree whether that's appropriate, but the fact of the matter is, is they've been effective at doing that. And uh, you know, they want the people they endorse to support other candidates that they've endorsed. And if you start sort of splintering it off, it feels to them as though uh, they're not on the same page. And that opens the door to other people, you know, from their perspective, conservatives coming in and sort of trying to win a seat or uh, poke at sort of disarray, you know, among the party. Do you see it all? They're, 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 uh, 
their logic and saying, hey, Eric, you want the party to support you and you benefited from the party. Uh, you were endorsed by them, I believe, when you ran the first time. Um, why can't you support our candidates too? I mean, do you see that side of it from their perspective? No, I definitely, I see where they're coming from. And that's why I took the time to say that I have endorsed candidates many times and, and I've continued to do so. And I haven't actively campaigned against and haven't run against any other candidates. And that's happened with other races, with other individuals. So I think it really comes down to we're a small community and we have a lot of independent uh, thinkers here. And so for me, it was explaining I have endorsed uh, candidates and I've walked over the years many times in contentious races. And, and so I have done that. And um, there was a perception that I hadn't done that. And I had, so I just wanted to at that time say I, I had done it and I will continue to do so, I'll continue to support candidates and uh, as we move forward. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, about you <laughs> now. Uh, you're obviously running for re-election. You don't have an opponent as of now, correct? Uh, correct, don't have one. And, and, have you heard of any? I have not heard of anybody stepping up to to challenge for that seat, right? Have you? No, you I have, names? Yeah. haven't heard of anyone, but um, anticipate there will be. Uh, you always want to play that that you want to anticipate there to be somebody. So at this time, but I haven't heard of anybody. Yeah, and that's one of the things of district elections, of course, is you know you get more um, diversity. Sometimes though, no one will step step up and challenge for a seat, and uh, maybe somebody will challenge for for your seat. I don't know that anyone's challenging for. Uh, the seat that Megan Harmon holds, um, you know, obviously I think Kristen Sneddon has a, has a challenger, uh, you know, for the party to endorse you though, it doesn't matter because it means resources toward you that they could use in a competitive seat. Let's talk about you and, and your time on the council. Um, you're serving your fourth year. Have, have you liked it? Has it been everything you experienced or, or everything you expected? Talk to me about what it's been like the first term. Well, it's been um, beyond what I ever could have imagined, as, as you could say. I mean, going in, I you always expect coming in that you're going to learn and it's going to be a, kind of a whirlwind when you first get in there. But uh, these three years for our community and for the council in particular have just been some of those most challenging in the history of our city. I mean, myself, uh, the mayor and council mayor Kristen Stedden were sworn in on the day of the debris flow. So our first three months in office was something unlike we'd ever experienced in our city. And then we started to get our footing, started to go, go forward and, and really get back to not just focusing on the emergency response, but starting again, looking at housing, those issues. And then just when that, we're back on a kind of normal footing. We had the Conception Dive Boat disaster, the largest maritime disaster in our state that our community came through. And then we get through that and then the pandemic comes. And that just has really just thrown things out um, the, the traditional playbook out the window. So, um, but even within that, there's been, I, I'd say, there's been a lot of very high highs and a lot of very low lows. And of course, there's times I considered, why did I get into this job? I, I don't want to do it again. But you just have to go through those lows. And then when you have the highs where you, you pass some significant legislation, see one example is one of the highs was the night I remember when we voted to cre create a pedestrian mall on State Street. Uh, for the in, in response to the pandemic and it had been something that had been discussed in town for over 30 years and this council was able to do that and I remember afterwards we're back in the on the offices and we, we had our masks on and everything but we're like if we could high five each other and touch we'd all be giving high fives because this is something so momentous that we're going to have a real chance to see how it works and it was just great to be a part of something I think and we look back on history that that was a major moment in our city to look at, at for that change so I think getting through um, the tough times has made the, the, the successes we've had more rewarding and in a good place now where I think I, I am ready to run for action, I am running for re-election and I look forward to continuing to serve on a, on a lot of these issues that are really complex that we're trying to deal with. You know, I've been covering the council since the early 2000s uh, with the break here and there to, you know, when I left the area and stuff, but um, I have to say that this this version of the council, and you feel free to disagree. It's a conversation. It's not, you know, like you know, you don't. You can tell me stop, Josh. It's fine. Um, but this version of the council, to me, seems to be uh, the most uh, splintered that I've ever seen in terms of people sort of doing their own thing, and and there's there's sometimes arguing. Um, 
calling people out individually in meetings publicly, which in the old days, they'd, they'd handle that behind the scenes. And when they'd get up there, it'd be like, you know, we're all get along here. You knew they didn't, but at least they presented that front. Uh, and so um, it's just interesting to sort of see, you know, and, and during the pandemic, there's, I mean, there's hours sometimes of public comment, you know, and sometimes it's directed the mayor, you know, and sometimes some other council members will get called out. Um, do you, what do you think of the state of the, the seven of you? Um, is, and if you feel like it's insider baseball, that's fine. But sometimes I'm watching it and I actually feel like, oh my God, this is embarrassing. Like this is Santa Barbara and these people like just can't get along or they're just getting hammered by the public and they don't know how to just like apologize and move on. Instead, it's got to be like defend, 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 and not you, but some others. <laughs> um, how does that feel for you when, when you know that mood is sort of half that you know, all of a sudden you feel like, uh oh, it's going to be one of those days on the council? Well, you know, uh, as you know, Josh, I, I've taken an approach of say very little up there unless I really have to and because of one on there. So <laughs> I, I think that ultimately, we do have our differences up there. And one of the biggest challenges that we face as a council is that we're not in the, the chambers. It makes a big difference being in the chambers. And I also think it makes a big difference from the public too, to have to come into the chambers and look somebody in the eye. And when you're talking about them, um, either positively or, or criticizing them. And when you're in there and we can see the body language of our colleagues and we can feel that, that inside the chambers and we get to know each other through that. And then afterwards when we're talking and we don't have that now because it's, it's more like it's a, the analogy I use now is the, the council is more like a reality TV show in which we're actual participants where we climb it, chime in and chime out rather than being in the chamber. And I'd forgotten that until about, a month ago, I, I have an intern that uh, I started this year and we had never actually met in person. And so I said, now that, you know, vaccines are out and um, there's safety protocols, would you, did you want to come in and get a tour? So she came in and my oldest son came with me and a member of the um, a staff member started giving us a tour just to city hall. And so it was the first time I met my own intern, which was interesting because she, I had uh, had it in the, for a couple months. And then we went into the chambers and it was the first time I'd been in the chambers in many months because the doors are always locked. And you know, as soon as you walk in that room, you get this really positive energy and you realize like, this is where our community has had so many debates. It's like all of the ghosts of the past come in. And the intern actually is the first one to notice. She, she said, there's a different energy in this room and, and all of us were there. So I think that's part of it is we haven't had the same opportunity to get to know each other as people and as council members, because the fact that we're on Zoom calls on, on it. Um, and then also I think that um, the public comment does go on for longer because more people are able to call in. So it, it elongates the public comment. But in terms of the council, I think we do need to learn as a, as a body to really try to you know talk things out behind the scenes so it doesn't blow up in public because I think it is a reflection on the city when it does happen. But we're all learning, and I, I think we have made steps in trying to correct that um, that course where we're just arguing up there um, on a personal level, not on a policy level. And I think it has toned down somewhat recently. Let me ask you about equity, which is um, you know you're an elected official, so you uh, you sort of you you shape policy, right? So you you can decide what. Uh, uh, things look like from a policy level, and then you you tell the administration to implement it. And uh, you know, obviously, we have had, we had a tumultuous 2020. Uh, we had the Black Lives Matter uh, uh, rally and demonstration and protest, and obviously, Kath Mayor Kathy Maria was um, you know um, involved at that the tail end of that, and and was the recipient of a lot of uh, fallout because of that, and. Uh, you know, you do hear that uh, uh, coming up, um, you know, during public comment um, often on, on various issues that thread throughout the city. And I'm wondering if you could just talk to me uh, about the importance of Santa Barbara elected officials, administration, boards and commissions being more inclusive of uh, people of color, you know, Black, 
indigenous people of color, um, you know, the whole variety of uh, people who have been not really allowed to participate in the past, um, the way that some others have. And I'm wondering if you can talk about, I mean, how important of that, how important is that to you? And I know it's to say, of course, it's important to you, but specifically, how important is that to you as elected? You actually have the power to make change when it comes to better representation, you know, in Santa Barbara. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you, Eric? Yeah, I thank you for the question because I think equity, it takes a long time to build it and you have to constantly keep building it. And so I think with our boards and commissions in particular, doing the outreach to let people know that these openings are there. So it allows people to come in. And I think as council members, it's important that we have our boards and commissions which advise the council. And in some cases they actually make decisions that could come to council to have a say in those boards and commissions because it's more reflective of the community as a whole. So we have an ob obligation to really consider uh, who's the best qualified and who are representatives of the community when, we, when we're making appointments to the boards and commissions. Because what being on there, what it allows an individual to do is understand how the city works, contribute, feel, feel empowered in, in the city. And then when, if and when they decide to run for office, maybe even council someday, they have this whole history they can rely upon of learning the city, understanding how budgeting works, understanding where city staff are. For, an, for example, I'll take myself as an example. I ran um, and was appointed and served on the city library advisory board for 10 years. And I didn't, without that experience, I wouldn't know the city and I wouldn't understand it as well. So, and you get to really focus on issues you're passionate about. And there's so many people in the community who are passionate about so many issues and to be able to have that constructive way to really shape policy in the city. And they start having a voice. So I, I think it's important and it doesn't happen overnight. So it just needs to continue. Each council member needs to take it seriously. And then also the city, the city administrator down through the organization really looks at uh, diversity of who we hire from department heads all the way down to our, um, our staff. So I, I think as an organization, we're doing well, but we need to improve and we are taking strides to improve in that, that sense. But for us as a council, I think it really, the boards and commissions are a, a key for us to want to get people on them, but also shows that we're committed to it. And just as a follow-up, what is the what um why is that an improved why is that bad what is the importance of equity from your perspective because i think a lot of electeds talk about it like oh of course we need equity but like on the ground like why is that important from your perspective why do we need representation of the community actually in leadership roles within city hall um what is the explain the importance of that and why does it matter I'd say the number one thing about equity is that it improves communication. Because if you have a certain life experience, then you're able to bring that to the table. And then you're able to also listen to others who have different life experiences all within the same city. Because you could live in, in this city your whole life and have a completely different experience than somebody else who's also lived in the city their whole life. So to have that, because we're a city that serves many, we serve 93,000 people of vast differences in their lives. And we need to serve everybody. The council in particular needs to be able to serve the entire city to make it better for all. And when we're equitable, we are basically serving everyone. So to have information and to have communication from everywhere, every neighborhood is so important. And that's why we went to, to district elections. And I think the, um, some of the issues that come up the council have shown you know, why, why district elections are important because some of the voices in the neighborhoods that have been neglected for so long have been brought up in particular by their elected district representatives. But I also take the approach that because we have that representation in neighborhoods, the other council members need to also work in those neighborhoods as well with those council members. So it's a something where you represent your neighborhood on the council, but you also represent the whole city and work with them. So the more viewpoints and the more leadership we have from the community to inform us, the better off we'll be. And that's to me what equity is. Yeah. And the other part of it is, you know, when, 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 you know, young kids, right. When, when people see people of color and leadership positions, 
uh, they feel like they belong to. So it's, it's as though, oh, you're there. I can get there too, you know, and that's, that's a big part of it as well. And then, uh, you know, as you mentioned, like we talk about Ortega Park, those, the mural issue, that's a good example. You know, it's like all this outreach and master plan. And then there's a group of people are like, Hey, these murals matter to us, you know, and that's sort of a, a good example of sort of having all of those different diversity of voices there as well. I wanted to ask you, Eric, one of the things that always uh, struck me when I found out um, is sort of, you know, quite frankly, impressive about you is that in addition to being a council member, in addition to having that prestige and, you know, you, I'm sure you're pretty humble about being a council member but people look at elected officials as having sort of um you know a layer and a a, a certain kind of status to them at the same time you know you're working over there at trader joe's you know you're stocking the shelves and uh you know you're you're i guess you know bagging and you're just doing everything people do at trader joe's and um i just wanted to ask you about that like um, you know why do you work at trader joe's when you're an elected member of the city council well, I love working there. It's such a it's such a fun job, um, and I've met so many great coworkers, and you know, and the customers there. It's just a great place to work. And for me, of course, um, Santa Barbara. It's tough. Um, many people have to work two, three jobs just to support their families. So, for me, it was the opportunity to have to be able to work in a fun environment and that is flexible, so I could serve on council. Um, but with Trader Joe's, what, what I feel is that it's actually taught me so much just in my life uh, from the people I work with and the customers. And it's made me a more reflective and um, more in tune with the community of what the, what the real challenges are here, especially during the past three years. Um, working at Trader Joe's in a grocery store during the pandemic while on city council, those are those are two jobs that I think, you know, going back a few years ago and you'd say this is going to happen. Would you sign up to work both of those simultaneously? I don't think anybody would voluntarily do that. But but um, what I saw during the pandemic, I had an insider's view of of the workers, frontline workers, myself being one, but also the community. Some of the things I'll never forget about the pandemic. A lot of it happened at Trader Joe's. I remember right before the first lockdown came and it was like February of 2020 is the virus was spreading and there was a lot of lockdowns in Europe. And so everyone started worrying that the supply chain of food was going to come in. So we started having these mass rushes at the grocery stores and the grocery stores didn't, weren't expecting it. And so you had all these staff and, and all of us were, were literally doing like two nights or two days of work in one day, because you'd have people coming in and just buying, you know, normally a hundred, hundred dollars, they were buying like five or $600 worth of groceries because they were so afraid the food was going to go out and you could see the panic in people's eyes. And we were so exhausted. We come back the next day, we were just so exhausted. And then the one thing about it though, is when the community comes in and th throughout the entire pandemic is it's actually a normal setting place for the community because they love Trader Joe's and they come in. And when the world was chaotic this last year, they had that half an hour where they come in and say, yeah, it's a little different in here, but it's the same people I know, the same workers are here and Trader Joe's is still Trader Joe's. And it gave them this sense of calm of coming into the store. Um, and I also like it because just random constituents, people of the city will just come in and start talking to me for a minute or say, hey, this is on my mind. So I know it's on people's minds because they tell me. And everyone's very respectful to just say, hey, this is on my mind. And they don't make it into a, a city council interaction. They make it into, hey, I just want you to think about this and, and or they give me feedback on stuff. So it's really cool. And the other thing too, is my coworkers got me through so many down and down times during the last year. And, and I wanna call out two of them, Josh. There's two in particular. Um, I could call out all of them and I don't wanna forget somebody, but two, the first one I wanna call out is somebody you know very well is Kai Zhang. And he's just a remarkable young man um, and, his, and his partner, Haley. He's just a great individual and, and so positive. And so I'm gonna, and he's been out there and he's been, um, he was a journalist he's under you, Josh, he was studying. And he's also in a band and it's a rising band right now called Trout Club. And they just did this great video uh, where they did some drone footage and you can get it on YouTube. Just go on YouTube and put Trout Club. And you're gonna see some great footage up on San Marcos Pass of our whole area in this band. And I'll never forget this night where it's in the middle of a pandemic and his band got on KJEE for the local featuring of a local band. So he was working that night and Haley and all of us there. And then 
they let him go out to his car during the break because um, they were going to play his song. So he goes out to his car and then you can hear him and Haley screaming because it's the first time he ever heard his song on the radio. It was the first time. And they were so excited. They came in and everybody was so excited. And it's like stories like that, that, you know, during this pandemic, there was just this so, such a positive thing. And to be there when he first heard a song of his on the radio, it's, it's like that movie back in the 90s, that, that thing you do and they get all excited because the song's on the radio for the first time. It was, it was just great. And, and to know how of a remarkable individual he is, mm-hmm. uh, I'm just really happy for him. Yeah. And the other one I want to call out real quickly is um, James Haskins. We call him Gelato. That's his nickname at Trader Joe's. Okay. Because he makes this amazing gelato and he's been trying to open his gelato business for like years. And he actually just opened it right on State oh. Street downtown where the old Wetzel's Pretzels is. Yeah. And he has a passion for it, for it. And we've all supported him. And, you know, he finally got it open. And he would tell me about the whole permitting process the city is going through. So I learned from him firsthand what it was like and then the landlords and what the landlords are doing. So I'm going to work and learning from him, a young entrepreneur. And it turns out that we had known each other when we were kids, when we lived at the Lachlan apartments and when I moved away. So I hadn't seen him for 30 years and we finally put two and two together. And for him to open up a business during this time and achieve his life dream and to see him there now on State Street at Tondi Gelato, it's just um, inspirational. And we all showed up, the Trader Joe's employees showed up this first day and we keep going there. And it means a lot to him that um, his friends and coworkers there are supporting his business and he's trying to make a go of it. So those are like the really hopeful stories and why I love working there. And there's so many more of the individuals that work there. And so, like I said, it really keeps me grounded and in, t- in touch with what's going on, especially during the pandemic. Yeah. I don't know James, but I did write about him when he opened up that shop uh, right there at Paseo Nuevo. And so now I can make a connection of a little bit. Uh, Kai of course is like one of the most unique and charismatic and, wonderful people you know he just can enter a room and everyone gets happy around him so he definitely has that that quality for sure um and and uh, you know i've seen you in there i've been shopping how much of that is like a family values thing for you uh in terms of working uh you need to work financially uh you have obviously get paid at santa barbara um i guess the question is trying to get at you the man uh the, the, you know, the, 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 the person who works at Trader Joe's, but also works the city council, you're providing for your family, right? I mean, this is why you work here, correct? This is why you work there. Sorry, the phone rang there. Uh, <laughs> y- yes. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is an issue where we need to really, I want to show my kids, like, if you want to make it, especially in this town, it, you've got to put a lot of hard work in there. And so part of it's financial, but the other part is that you're putting in the hours and just really doing whatever it takes to do it. And so that's the approach I take on city council too, is that you have to do whatever it takes and you have to work with whoever comes, comes um, forward and whatever issue is there. And that's what a grocery store is too. You work with whatever customer is there, uh, whatever coworker you have when you come in. And, and so for me, it's just about a work ethic and doing whatever it takes. And um, I think it's, for me, it's been very humbling because you're right. When you're saying, you know, I'm on the city council and there's certain expectations that people have. But at the same time, I think the public comes in and say, hey, you know what, I'm putting groceries on the shelves or, you know, sometimes I have to clean the bathrooms and people see that. And they're like, well, this, this is what Santa Barbara is because I think a vast majority of people in Santa Barbara are struggling to make it here. Um, and we're not the, um, the 80 soap opera Santa Barbara where everybody's wealthy and famous here. So I think for the public at large to have um, a council member who works at a grocery store, it just gives them a, um, a sense of who we are as a city, that we are, we have these, these different, um, these different um, jobs that we have to have and we all struggle to survive here and do what it takes. And so it's very humbling experience working there for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's bring it full circle before we wrap up here, Eric. Uh, you know, we started talking about the endorsement process. Um, they decided to wait, I guess. Um, you know, they, they did not choose to endorse you or not endorse you. Um, I guess um, what I've heard is that you might be given opportunity to go back and talk to them um, at a future meeting. Uh, they spent most of their time on, you know, the mayor's race and other issues when they were deliberating the party. Um uh, 
do you want their endorsement? Are you going to go back? Um, how much are you willing to, uh, to uh, fight for this, this endorsement? Kind of walk us through sort of where you're at uh, today. Well, Josh, I've uh, been a lifelong Democrat, still a Democrat. And of course, I want the, the endorsement. It means a lot. I think uh, the Democratic Party has a certain set of, of values that we all value. So uh, definitely uh, am open to it. And when I'm called and we have a conversation on what the next steps is, uh, in terms of going back, or if there's another process, I'll talk with them uh, from the leadership of the Central Committee and see where it goes from there. But of course, to have the, the endorsement means a lot. And like I said, I had it last time. I've endorsed other candidates in the past, and I'm a lifelong Democrat, and I'm proud of that. Okay. Well, you know, um, it's not this. This interview is not intended to be a. Um you know, a campaign thing for you at all. But um, before we wrap up, I just want to sort of give you the last word here, you know, sort of uh, talk to me about your time on the council and, you know, your thoughts on, you know, going forward if you're, um, if you're reelected. Yeah. So the, the time of the council has been really, really rewarding. I know I, I talked earlier about the ups and the downs, but what really excites me when we're on, on the council and, and being on the council is to move projects forward that really benefit the community. And also for me, it's constituent service. That's what I really focused on. It's been ingrained in me when I worked for Naomi Schwartz, Luke Carbajal, and I was an intern for Jack O'Connell for all those years to be responsive, um, responsive to the, the public, whether they're in the fifth district or throughout the city. Because I think there's nothing worse than having an issue, contacting the city hall and not getting a response, especially if you need some help, not just a form letter that you're sending in, in in support of an issue, but something where you actually are need some assistance. And so that's the approach I've taken is to take that seriously and, and to be responsive and be accessible. And some of the things that I, I really wanna be able to be on council for next time to see, see through is I'm a big supporter of the libraries. And I think for me, libraries are just such important institutions. And before on council, when I started on the library board and the friends of the library board, um, I worked with so many people to, to secure the funding to build the children's library. And uh, myself and another board member, uh, when you talk about the importance of boards and commissions, we served on the library advisory board and we went to the previous council to um, say, hey, you guys need to put in half a million dollars in your budget so that this thing can get built so the foundation can come in and say, hey, the city's invested. And if we hadn't been there, they might not have done it and that library might not have got built. And the same thing is happening with Library Plaza right now because we we're redesigning it and we're gonna be able to expand services for the children's library out there that serves everybody. And so since I've been on council, I've been able to really invest in the library, You know, $1.5 million that I was able to work with my colleagues to allocate and the foundation is going forward. And we're hopefully gonna be able to bring that project to construction next year. And I remember seeing the first plans for it or, or design scope back in about 2007 at a library board meeting. So you're talking 15 or so years. So I want to be on council when that's there because I say I worked on this for 15 years. So it's come full circle and, and, and things like that. So it's just the timing and to be able to continue the, the work that we're doing. And there's a lot of projects like that um, that are out there. But the library is just one on the plaza that, I, that I'm really looking forward to and continuing to work and provide, you know, be responsive to the residents because that's what they really want. Great, Eric. Well, it's, uh, you know, my pleasure to talk to you and, you know, uh, allow you the opportunity to talk in detail about some of these issues. And um, I'll look forward to, uh, you know, next council meeting. Uh, you know, I'm always uh, taking notes. And when I hear Eric start quoting literature or a textbook he read in college or a famous quote or something, you know, my, my ears always perk up like, uh oh, what's this one going to be? So, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to cover you. So, uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to get into uh, Megan Harmon level quote territory, you know, in terms of uh, numbers of quotes, but um, I'm always listening. So I'm always willing to, to uh, quote, you know, you know, whatever you got to say. So, Well, thanks, thanks Josh. It's been an honor to be on the show. And, and can I leave you with one last thing, Josh, just on the yeah. show? I want to give you my thoughts on the podcast because I've listened yeah. to some episodes is, is some feedback is I really appreciate the work that you're doing on the podcast because like a hundred years from now, when people are looking back at this time, they're going to be have so many interviews of just ordinary leaders that weren't elected, but just leaders in the community and you've allowed them to be able to tell their story. So it's very going to be very valuable to understanding the context of this time, because mm -hmm. we don't have that from a hundred years ago. We have just newspaper articles and these things. So 
I think that this is very important work you're doing here and, and the, the, the community leaders you've had on here have been just fantastic in the stories that they've shared. So I just really want to say I value what you're doing here and just keep up the good work and, and giving a voice to all these great community leaders that you've had on here. Well, thank you. I, I uh, appreciate that. You know, this is the first time you've been on the show and I launched it, you know, almost a year ago. And one of the reasons was that I try not to have too many electeds on the show because I feel like they have a platform for the most part. And so I really work hard to reach out to people who uh, are doing things on the ground in the community, but may not have once a week, multiple times a week on a stage where everybody can already hear them talk. And so um, that's definitely one of the things that I've been, I've been trying to do. And it's sort of, you know, as a reporter for so long, you have, you know, you do an interview and how much of it makes it into a story, you know, a quote, maybe two quotes. Sometimes they'll say, was that a context? Or they'll say, why didn't you take this other thing? And it's a very small percentage. It's a fraction of that conversation that you have. And a lot of times you really have a really good conversation with somebody. And so I just thought the podcast would be an opportunity for people to, to hear the whole conversation. And uh, that way they can decide for themselves. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no um, effort to, you know, put you in this angle of a story here. It's just Eric talking, you know? And so um, I appreciate that. It's just a, an opportunity to have kind of a historical archive of what people are saying and what people are doing. And, you know, if you have any recommendations, you know, anybody watching, you know, it's just like, I want people who are on the ground doing things and making an impact and they may not necessarily be the headline maker, but they are people in the community who people know are doing things. So thank you for that, uh, that recognition. And um, I guess um, that's pretty much it. Thanks a lot, Eric. Good luck to you and uh, you know, your process going forward. And uh, I'll, I'll be uh, covering you. Looking forward to whenever City Hall opens again, whenever that is, and I can walk in that council chamber and, uh, and see you and you can see all your constituents too. So thank you. Thank you, Josh.